Hello and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm your host, Garrett Ashley Mullet. And today I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to talk. And I think the uh, subject will flesh itself out. Uh, I don't know if that works for everybody. But uh, frankly, this morning, I really don't care. (laughs) Um, And I shouldn't say that. I do care. I, I want to not care. Because ultimately, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway, and uh, I don't want people to be upset, or if they are upset, I don't want it to affect me. But uh, anyway, that's how I'm going to roll this morning. Seems like if I make this into too complicated of a process, it just doesn't happen. And uh, if I play it by ear, and if I say, hey, you know what, whatever comes, comes, then uh, it's just a lot, a lot easier. So, but it's been a eventful week. I think that's part of why I'm just reluctant to plan anything, even as far as what I'm going to say, as far, you know. Uh, so last week I was in Houston for two days, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, traveling all day Monday, got in really late Monday night, up early Tuesday morning having to make uh, good impressions, having to give a 15-minute presentation to the vice president of the company and others. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of the day sitting through meetings and trainings and discussions galore and uh, just finding myself, you know, having recently been promoted to regional supervisor for automation services in the Rocky Mountains, uh, being plunged Head first into the world of management, and uh, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of uh, meetings, a lot of discussion, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, a lot of people talking and explaining things and asking, and you having to listen and read between the lines sometimes and. and you know, is, is this what it appears? Are they saying what they mean? Are they, um, so that, you know, that, that is a, a different kind of tired talking about last week. And then this week, uh, you know, my first full week actually on the job, spent a lot of it trying to figure out how to get more people and uh, get more people hired on, get some contractors in here, get both a contractor and more employees because we've got lots of work coming down the pike. Now, lots of work is a good problem to have unless it's so much work or you're so short-staffed that you risk losing all your work because you can't cover it all. And oh, by the way, you risk not growing and not being able to take advantage of opportunities and blowing these fantastic opportunities because uh, you can't deliver on what was promised. Now, never mind, you're not the one who promised it, or I'm not anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's got to be now resourced. Uh, now, it, that's an interesting task, trying to find the resources to do uh, additional work that's coming down the pike, or even just to do your own old job. Uh you know, trying to figure out what are the proper channels and how do you get that done uh, being 
new to it. And uh, I guess, I mean, it'll be trial by fire. I'm, I'm learning as I go what the steps are uh, to get uh, get somebody hired. But that's always a little bit nerve-wracking. You're learning something new. Um, this is especially nerve-wracking because I realize I've got other people depending on me. And uh, so I definitely don't want to, to learn too many things the hard way. But um, all I could do is my best, right? Uh, so, you know, that was Monday through Friday for me this week was trying to figure out how to get some people hired and uh, how to avoid burning out the people we've already got and how to also simultaneously get as much done as we possibly can strategically. And all of that is, uh, I don't know, it, it's stressful in one sense. It's, I think it could be enjoyable, uh, will be enjoyable. Uh, when there's not, when we're not stretched so thin, but it's definitely a challenge any way you slice it. And so I'm trying to figure that out uh, this this week. And uh, you know, I, I guess it's a little bit of a, a blessing. I'm, I shouldn't say a little bit of a blessing. Yeah, get exaggerated on on the negative things and then underplay the positive things. Uh, <laughs> that's that's part of how I'm trying to get somebody hired, by the way. <laughs> uh, anyway, but it's a three-day weekend. Uh, so Saturday, in theory, I was supposed to have off. Today's Sunday, so I, I have off. And then uh, tomorrow is Labor Day. And so it's supposed to be a holiday, and I'm supposed to be off. I guess we'll see. I'm... I'm holding my breath, uh, hoping there's nothing that comes up that's an emergency. Shouldn't be too much. But uh, yesterday, it, it was going to be just kind of a day of you know working on. We had a number of things we had talked about doing that we could do. It was supposed to be just getting stuff done around the house. We have signed up to clean the church this month, so we were going to go over to the church and clean that. I was going to mow because it was a week overdue, didn't end up mowing. Uh, you know, I was going to be picking out all the songs for church and, uh, and helping to practice and sing them and uh, ended up not able to do any of the stuff with regards to church. I did replace a window on the van, but as I was replacing a window on the van, my oldest son, Josiah, came out on the front porch and told me that Eli, uh, his next town younger brother, had just landed on his head on the trampoline and wasn't moving. And I said, he's not moving? What do you mean he's not moving? He says, well, he was crying, but now he stopped crying and he's not moving. And, oh my goodness, I... Uh, yeah, <laughs> cold sweat. Uh, it was not a not a happy moment for me. Um, dropped everything. I mean, not the glass. I hadn't put it in yet. Tried to set that off someplace safe. And uh, went in, checked on Eli. He was just, he's laying out on the trampoline. 
And uh, without telling you the the entire entire story, because it's it's honestly it's a little bit stressful just to tell the story. Um, but um, I, I consulted with a friend of mine that was an EMT. Ended up calling an ambulance to have Eli taken in uh, to get an X-ray or a CAT scan. And, uh, and so they did, uh, checked him out. Um, they, they backboarded him. They put a neck brace around him and, uh, he ended up being fine. They said probably would just be sore in the morning. Uh, they told me to watch out for any kind of neurological problems. If he's, you know, you know, complaining of, uh, uh, numbness or lack of ability to move a limb. Um, you know, so needless to say too, though, he's off the trampoline. We're, we're thinking about just throwing away the trampoline. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't want to make an impulsive decision in a moment of stress, but, um, you know, we've been talking about it for a while. The net got torn up and had to, you know, tried repairing it over and over. Did that half, you know, half a dozen, dozen times. Eventually it just was beyond repair. And, uh, so we've we've talked about getting rid of it. The problem is our side yard is so uh, so small that trampoline it, it's it's uh, it's the debate that we have. The, the trampoline is kind of the, the fun thing to do in the side yard. So without it, it's like, well, what are they going to really do over there? Well, you know, if uh, if falling on their head and going to the ER and the ambulance is uh, on the list of what they're going to do. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we could just do without the trampoline. We'll just go over to the park, play over there. But, uh, you know, I was talking with the doc at uh, the ER and, you know, he, he kind of shrugged a little bit and he says, well, you know, my daughter, she just broke her wrist a little while ago. And, and my 15 year old son is about my size. He, fell on her and you know, it just, it landed on her wrist. You know, they were jumping and having a good time and kind of a, what do you do? Right. And I was talking with Lauren about it and I said, you know, on the one hand, I'm, it's definitely on my mind that we would uh, get rid of the trampoline. But on the other hand, we don't want to be those parents that just, uh, you know, we've got bubble children. We're trying to protect our children from everything that could possibly hurt them or has hurt them. You know, that's, you know, in coaching soccer, the kids aren't allowed to head, uh, the balls. And, uh, I don't even think you're supposed to be kicking them so far off the ground. Maybe I'm misremembering it. I am misremembering it. That's not that's going too far, but, you're not allowed to head, head the ball. If you do head the ball, then the ref will blow the whistle on the play. Everything stops. You get a penalty, something like that. It's weird. But all of that is in uh, response to concern about concussions, sports-related injuries, uh, particularly in the NFL. And it's not, you know, it's not... Uh, wholly unjustified, but where do you draw the line, right? You know, if you've got, uh, you know, hunter safety, I can understand if you say, 
hey, you know, we're going to talk about, talk to death about gun safety. And here are the rules for how to handle a firearm responsibly and to eliminate the possibility that somebody's going to get accidentally shot or hurt through the misuse of a, of a firearm. You know, I understand that, but, you know, if anybody would say, well, hey, you know what, firearms are dangerous, so we're just going to ban all guns. Well, wait a second. Now we're going too far. You know, just because somebody gets hurt, you're going to say this this useful tool is all of a sudden just out of the picture. I don't agree with that. Um, yeah, I think being responsible, being wise, uh, that's all good, but you can go too far to where it becomes irresponsible and unwise to overshelter, overprotect, and uh, to try to run interference on every little thing that could possibly do damage. So, I don't know. We're going to discuss it. Uh, it's clear as mud right now whether we're going to go one direction or another with regards to the trampoline specifically, but at least for the time being, Eli is off the trampoline. <laughs> uh, and the rest of them, I think we need to watch. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was not in the cards for yesterday. We were not planning on that happening. That became kind of our afternoon. I ended up canceling my, uh, you know, practice, uh, asked our pastor's wife if she could take over on the song selection, her and, uh, a friend of my wife's, if they could take over on leading worship tomorrow, cause I was going to be leading worship, uh, with the pastor's wife. She was going to play piano. I was going to sing. And, uh, yeah, I just, even though it, and it only took, I think an hour and a half at the ER to get, uh, Eli checked out to get home. But, uh, I'll be honest with you. My nerves were kind of shot. <laughs> And, uh, I know Daniel too. I mean, he, he was really, he took it hard before the ambulance came. He was afraid about what was going to happen to, to Eli. He, he burst into tears and ran up to his room and I had to talk to him, calm him down. And so it was just kind of like, you know what, even though we're home and everybody seems to be all right from a physical standpoint, like maybe for the. For the sake of everybody's uh, hearts and minds, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay home this evening. So we did, and uh, actually, what I had been doing right before I came home to work on replacing the the window for the van, which had been knocked out due to a weed whacking incident. So here I'm I'm out in the front yard trying to weed whack uh, a couple weekends ago. Must have caught a rock in the process or chipped off a piece of brick. But uh, it, it knocked out one of our side windows. And uh, I ordered a, a window online, found one for, I don't know, 170 bucks total, all in. Replaced that yesterday. Now it's not a, a trash bag over the window, so that's nice. Uh, but... Uh, what I'd been doing right before that was I'd run to the hardware store and uh, was getting paint cans because we promised our kids if they cleaned up their bedrooms, we would paint their rooms because their rooms are, you know, they had, they had some 
holes from you know toys getting thrown or uh, somebody got a hold of a, a hammer one day, one of the, the little ones, and went to town on couple of spots somebody got a hold of a knife another day went to town on some other spots and it just it's been cumulative well finally my dad ended up he had some time off here recently and uh very generously donated some of his time to helping us get some of these holes in the walls patched up got them mudded and uh but then it ended up being quite a bit of wall space in the kids rooms a lot a lot a lot it's like, well, okay, now that that's patched, we have to paint over it, but almost going to be darn near painting the whole walls, uh, all of them, <laughs> uh, by the time we're done. So then I was like, you know what? If we're going to paint the whole wall anyways, why don't we just pick a different color? Like, you know, uh, and then it's not just getting back to square one. Maybe it'll be exciting and fresh and new. And so... Each of the kids, uh, well, you know, Saul, Dan, Enoch, they share a room upstairs. And then Evelyn, she's got her own room because she's the princess. And then Josiah and Eli, they have a bedroom that used to be my office in the basement. And so we let them discuss what colors they wanted to pick. And then they told us. That's all good. Got the paint. Uh, or rather, I'd ordered the paint. They were mixing it up at the hardware store up the street i said well okay if it's going to take half an hour to get all that done i'm going to head home uh get some stuff done around the house which is when i was going to go do the van window so i'm trying to multitask right i've got different things in the fire different uh you know stuff on the back burner that is going on I'm trying to be as efficient as i possibly can be with my saturday in large part because you know especially uh at the outset here where we're shorthanded for manpower you know, with work, I'm salary now. So, um, you know, if I work 40 to 50 hours, I'm actually getting a raise over what I was making before. If, as soon as I start working over 50 hours, I'm actually getting a pay cut. But I, you know, I'm, I'm banking on it, uh, evening out in the winter months or once we do get some guys hired and once they are, but then, you know, but who knows? Right. Just like yesterday didn't go according to plan. It wasn't one thing. It was another. I'm in the process of uh, re replacing a, a, a window on the van. And all of a sudden, my son needs to take an ambulance ride. Our first family ambulance ride to the uh, ER. You know, and it could happen, you know, something just like that with work where, hey, we get these guys hired on and that's going to take stuff off my plate in one direction and then simultaneously before I've even finished onboarding them, something else will kick off and all of a sudden I'll be right back to working, you know, 60 hours instead of 40 to 50. And so that's that. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure, entirely sure what to expect. Uh, I think what's expected of me is that I'm going to be the pressure relief valve and then I'm supposed to figure out how to get ahead of these things. And, uh, you know, I think I, I think I've got that figured out how to get ahead of them pretty well as far as what needs to happen. And then the trick, the learning curve is going to be how to push buttons 
flip switches, pull levers internally at my company to, to make sure that those things actually happen. Uh, the, the point A to point B kind of stuff. Here's what needs to happen. How do we get it done? And, and how do we get it done with people that are in offices all over the U.S. and in Canada? Getting them all on board, building a consensus, you know, getting everybody on the same page. Do we all agree with this? Are you going to chip in your part? Now we're going to wait on this guy's guy. You know, he, this person over here has this idea. Oh, now we've got this question about, you know, is that really the best idea? What about we, how we could do this instead? You know, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff is going to be my Monday through Friday now. So, yeah, so that should be, that should be interesting, but ended up, you know, took my kid, my son to the ER. I was pretty shook up about, you know, here, here I'm, I'm doing all these other busy things and I just can't have my eyes on all of my kids at all times. And even if I did, you know, I, I might be sitting on the porch drinking my coffee watching as this happened because you weren't he wasn't expecting it to happen i wasn't expecting it to happen you know it's just a, a kid having fun so i don't know monday i'm supposed to have off that'll be nice and restful <laughs> i don't know if uh, getting three kids rooms all the way painted and all the furniture rearranged and uh, making sure it all looks nice. I don't know if that's realistic with the time that's left between this afternoon and uh, tomorrow. I don't know. Uh, at this point, too, I'm not even entirely sure I want to do all that. Right? So we've got the paint now, and uh, there's a part of me that's saying, you know, why don't we stagger that let's let's space that out rather than me feeling compelled to obligated to do it all in one fell swoop uh or else feel bad why don't i you know we'll do one bedroom this weekend get it all finished up take our time on it make sure it's done properly next weekend we'll do the next right or or maybe not next weekend because next weekend i've actually been invited to go uh, not climb Granite Peak. Tried that last year. wasn't really wasn't really in shape for it, and haven't had the time to uh, train for it since then. And uh, I did agree to go uh, hike up to Mystic Lake at least. So I think our pastor and one of our elders, they're going to go and attempt Granite Peak. Weather's supposed to be much nicer than it was last year. Last year, we were hiking in from where we parked uh, three miles, and uh, it was raining the entire time. And then the rain turned into snow because it was the temperature was dropping. It hit below that 32 degrees Fahrenheit point. And... Uh, so, you know, we're, we're hiking up there. Uh, my stuff didn't keep me entirely dry. 
uh, wasn't planning on hiking up through the rain. And then my tent and my sleeping bag ended up being uh, wet, soaked pretty well. Plus I was. Plus it was cold. And uh, that did not go quite according to plan. That was a little bit of a learn the hard way. Um, this time around, I think if I can get my uh, sleeping bag covered, or it's definitely going to be dry. If I can make sure I've got... Uh, you know, pants on or something that will repel the water. Uh, you know, get something figured out on that front. I think that will make a big difference. I think last time around, I I really really didn't enjoy not feeling up at all physically for uh, going all the way to Granite Peak. I was up for the the hiking to Mystic Lake. But especially not sleeping well, not you know, I, I I was cold and shivering and wet, and not sleeping well. Uh, the night before we attempted Granite Peak, and then the next morning I'm just just exhausted and didn't really recover, didn't really regenerate from the the lack of sleep, and uh, you know, and then I felt bad too. So I was you know had head games going on. Felt bad because, hey, you know what? I'm just not up for this right now. Not this time. Not this year. Not feeling motivated. And, uh, you know, didn't want to disappoint the guys that were feeling up for it. <clears throat> who were in better physical shape or they had slept better or they were feeling more uh, energetic. I was really, really um, down on myself about that. And so I decided uh, in the in the process last year, you know, if we were to do this again, I think I would just stick to the, uh, the Mystic Lake part of it, right? You know, I'll hike with you guys. I, you know, driving across uh, the eastern side of Montana to get out there, uh, that was fun. You know, having the conversation in the car ride, that was fun. Uh, getting to camp out and uh, pitch a tent and have a fire and all that stuff at Mystic Lake, that was fun. Um, you know, actually attempting the mountain, I don't know if that's really, I don't think that's me, at least not at this stage in life. You know, maybe at, at uh, some point down the road after I've had you know, a little bit more time to get work stabilized, you know, my kids get older and they're less. Uh, maintenance, maintenance. Uh, I think, I think, you know, those two fronts, you know, if I can start actually having 40 hour weeks and then I'm looking at my house when I come home and I'm like, Hey, you know what? There's not really any projects to do. Why don't I go exercise? I've got energy now. I'm going to go exercise. Uh, you know, that sounds really good. And and maybe that's what I should be doing right now with this recent change of job. It's just happened. Uh, maybe by this time next year, if I'm still, uh, <laughs> if I haven't been uh, let go yet for uh, <laughs> not knowing how to push the buttons and flip the switches and pull the levers and all that in my current position, um, you know, maybe maybe by that point I will have uh, worked out a routine 
of exercising regularly. And, uh, and that'll go a long ways. But uh, I'm excited about you know, this coming weekend. If we can pull it off, you know, I've asked for the time off. I've been told I can have the time off. That is one nice thing about being salary is that uh, you know, you're, you're supposed to you know, make the same. Even if you don't work uh, as many hours. So that was always a stress before. It was, you know, hey, if I take vacation time, I take a day off, uh, you know, so much of my my income is overtime hours. If I'm working 50, 60, 70 hours, all of a sudden I take two or three days off in the week, that's, uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, you know, my paycheck might be half of what it was. With salary, you know, if we can get things stable – um, I think that'll, that will be a huge, uh, improvement to quality of life. My wife is really excited about that. She has a sewing business, uh, sews, uh, girl clothes for my daughter, or at least that's how she started. Now she's into sewing, uh, like pants for newborns, infants. Uh, I mean, she's, she's really branched out into doing a lot of, really cute kids clothes and uh seems like she's got quite a buzz there's quite a demand uh she's very understated and uh not at all you know hour-long podcasts easily the way that i am i think she's got exactly the right uh touch for the sewing thing um you know if i can be working 40 hours a week and be able to uh, give her uh, time to sew because I'm home. I'm watching the kids. Yeah, that could be 20, 30 hours a week that beforehand she was just not able to do that. And uh, so that's exciting. I think that's going to be really good for her. It's going to be good for us. And I'm looking forward to it. So changing gears, we're about half an hour in, and uh, I like to talk about a combination of personal things, and then uh, also uh, you know broader, bigger ticket items. You know what's going on in politics, what's going on in culture, in society, in uh, the, the larger, wider world. So yesterday, as I was painting. I had my phone, my iPhone, with my Audible app in uh, Solomon, Daniel, and Enoch's room. I was painting their room. Painted it red, a very, very deep, like almost a fire engine red kind of a red, uh, but a little bit darker than that. I really, really like the red that we painted their room. It's almost a maroon, which was always my favorite. Still is my favorite. Uh... Crayola crown color. But anyway, so I was painting and I had my Audible on and I'm listening to this audio book on the Crusades. And uh, let me see, I'll pull it up here and then I can tell you who's the author. Uh, I don't remember. I just start listening to it and uh, 
and just go. Uh, oh, I haven't put down that I'm listening to it yet. Well, anyway, it's a book about the Crusades. And uh, very interesting. Um, I'd be curious to know more about the author. I might dig in once I'm done with it or before I finish. Uh, what the uh, perspective or uh, position is, the uh, really the bias, I guess is what I'm getting at. What is the bias of the author with regards to the, to the Crusades? Now, so far, he seems like he's been fairly even-handed. Uh, some books I've read are decidedly down on the Crusaders and then uh, almost cast the uh, Muslims as the heroes or the victims in turn. There's a book I am reading uh, simultaneously, or I'm going back and forth. I bought it at the same time that I bought this one about the Crusades, and it's called The Arabs, A History by Eugene Rogan. Um, we just looked it up on Audible here, the website. Uh, the Crusades, The Authoritative History of the War for the Holy Land by Thomas Asbridge. And uh, so I'm, I'm going back and forth between these two books. Uh, the Crusades is 11, minute, uh, 11 hours, 22 minutes, sorry, uh, uh, left out of a 25 and a half hour book. The Arabs, I've got seven and a half hours left of a 27 and a half hour book. And so these are both, I mean, between the two of them, uh, there's a full-time job right there. Uh, haven't had nearly as much time to listen to them since I started working in the office and, uh, and traveling and all that. But, you know, both of these books, uh, very meaty and, uh, and covering, you know, kind of going back and forth, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, uh, talking about a lot of the same persons, uh, places events and uh, themes. But I was really struck yesterday. Uh, I don't know if any, you know, any of you uh, have seen Ridley Scott's film. It came out when I was uh, in high school, Kingdom of Heaven. And it starred uh, Orlando Bloom as uh, the main protagonist, uh, Balian of Ibelin and uh, it also uh, featured Liam Neeson as the main character's uh, estranged father and uh, there were there were a number of uh, other uh, I think a Ava Green um, she was you know kind of the, the leading lady of the film but there were a couple other you know really familiar faces Ridley Scott, obviously a really big name in movie making, uh, known for these big, huge uh, historical epics. But uh, you know the, the persons, the themes, the events, the places in Kingdom of Heaven, uh, that was what was being covered when I was listening to this book on the Crusades yesterday. And, uh, you know, you come to find out there's a little bit of either a uh, difference of perspective between the book and the movie. 
uh, or what's more likely or what I think is, uh, is the case. And I think I heard uh, claims to this effect. Um, you had the script writers, the movie makers uh, taking some liberties with the facts, uh, deciding to massage the details, knowing that the vast majority of their viewing audience would never know the difference at all. Um, taking a lot of the, the same persons, the same uh, themes, and then just remixing them however they felt would make uh, the best movie. And, uh, you know, it could be there's a lot more truth to, and there there were some, you know, some uh, things that were, it was like, okay, apples to apples, you know, the movie, this is how it happened. And, and now the author, this historian is uh, telling me pretty much the same thing. Uh, so that was good, but there were other things where it's like, uh, is that how it was in the movie? Is that, did they, you know, if they didn't, uh, misrepresent it, did they at least try and cast it in a, in a totally different light to imply something different because it would, it would be more intriguing. Um, you know, and who knows too? I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. Ridley Scott, maybe, uh, read a book like this. And then decided uh, he was going to speculate, read between the lines a little bit. He's like, "Yeah, I wonder if that is really how it went. Maybe it went a little bit more like this." You know, I don't know, but uh, it it really is interesting to look at uh, the Crusades today. Um, some people, as soon as you bring up the Crusades, I mean, you, you know, watch out because somebody's going to spit. Uh, because the Crusaders are just, uh, you know, I think caricaturized, uh, made into these, these cartoonishly evil, stupid, violent, greedy people. And I'm sure some of them were, but uh, it's such a, such a two-dimensional way of looking at history. And uh, I, I think that attitude towards the crusades and the crusaders uh it, it can be characterized as uh what c.s lewis referred to as chronological snobbery uh, and for those that are, are not familiar you know, chronological chronological snobbery is looking uh, back on history the events of the past and immediately assuming superiority to the people who lived a long time ago Right. And, and I'll give you an example of this and I, or, or what I think this looks like today. You know, so I'm in my uh, children's bedroom and painting the walls red. And I'm listening to this book on my iPhone. Now, the people I'm learning about or hearing about, uh, who, you know, who's to say for sure whether I'm really learning the truth about them or whether I'm just getting this guy's spin or his speculation on them sometimes but uh, the people I'm learning about they didn't have iPhones they didn't have an audible account they didn't have uh, books like this to learn about the the Romans uh, by just listening to uh, you know listening to the the audiobook uh, as they painted their son's room they you know Look how far I've come. I'm so much more evolved than they are. I'm so, you know, uh, 
you know, really just, just thinking of myself as better inherently because I've got different technology now than they did back then. Uh, or because, you know, I'm thinking my culture is just innately superior to what theirs was, or my view of the world is just innately better than theirs was. Um, you know, it reminds me of conversations I've had with uh, middle-aged people or people that are getting closer to retirement than I am. I'll put it that way. And uh, and they'll talk apologetically about not being very good with computers, not being very savvy, tech savvy. <laughs> and they'll say, and I've heard this almost this exact same phrase several times, oh, we didn't really have that stuff when I was growing up. You know, you, you your generation, they'll point at me, uh, you grew up with it. And so it's, it's second nature to you, and then your kids after you, they're going to be even more so. And and I, my counter has been, you know, yeah, that's true, but, you know, there's things that you knew, you learned uh, in the absence of technology that unfortunately are going to be forgotten by my generation. Uh, or they're not going to be known to the extent that they were known by your generation. You know, and let's take a, a good example of this in, you know, 100 years uh, in America, you know, very, very few statistically, a uh, very small percentage of Americans still go to town on a horse. Now, in eastern Montana, uh, it's not impossible. Um, you know, you might have people just riding to riding to the store on a horse um, if they feel like it. I and mean, why not? People have horses. But uh, even even so, most people are most people are driving around in cars and trucks and and whatnot. Uh, you know, if you asked me to shoe a horse or put a saddle on one or ride one, I would be at a loss. I would be really just kind of making it up uh, as I went, based on what I'd seen in uh, in in Western movies, and I'd probably get kicked. And I'd probably get bitten, and I'd probably get bucked off, and I'd be better off just to walk to the store uh, myself. <laughs> but you know, a hundred years ago, uh, you know, that skill set was probably you know a lot closer to 100% of the populace knowing how to do that. Yeah, maybe not 100%. But a lot closer because there were no cars. You know, it's like if you'd asked somebody 100 years ago, hey, show me how to put gasoline in my uh, pickup here because I need to go to town. You know, for all you know, they'd start uh, pouring gasoline into your window washer fluid compartment or something. You know, they they wouldn't know where to start and they'd really take their time and it wouldn't be intuitive to them because they'd never had to do it before. It wasn't so, you know, now today it's second nature, maybe a hundred years from now, uh, people are going to look at you funny. If you have a vehicle that you put gasoline in, you know, maybe they're just going to plug, uh, their car. All of us are going to plug our cars and our trucks into the wall, charge them overnight. Like we do our smartphones and, uh, and, and we're going to think it would be as odd to put gasoline in our car as it is to think about putting gasoline in our smartphone, you know. I don't know. That's that's speculative. I think it's uh, it's educated speculation, but 
I don't think we should equate uh, technology with uh, having evolved beyond uh, certain basic rules of um, human psychology or human interaction, culture, philosophy, uh, you know, the law of gravity applied as much to uh, Richard the Lionheart if he fell off his horse as it would to me if uh, I was trying to saddle up a horse. And would Richard the Lionheart, you know, if he was a, an experienced horseman and a capable warrior, would he laugh at me and say that I had devolved from him, uh, from his generation uh, hundreds of years ago, if he saw me trying to get on a horse and failing miserably? You know, well, I think you get my point, but we look at the Crusades in the West, in America especially, uh, all too often, or in the, the mainstream at least, through the lens of having a separation of church and state. We look at uh, you know, the idea of people going off to the Holy Land to fight a crusade all too often. Uh, with disdain, as if only ignorant savages would do anything like that. Uh, you know, especially the liberals, like they they went nuts uh, during the War on Terror for any comparison whatsoever of America's coalition going into Iraq, going into Afghanistan. Any comparison of that to crusading. Uh, but then, you know, on the on the flip side, it's like, well, okay, if you're wanting a, a holy, uh, and I I say that W H O L L Y, you know, an entirely secular uh, motive for going in and, uh, and and fighting with a Middle Eastern country, uh, you know, what ground do you have to stand on, objecting if? Uh, if there's a, a component of the conflict that relates to oil and gas, right? I, I'm a little bit nonplussed that on the one hand, you don't want it to be anything whatsoever to do with religion, um, especially on the, the antagonist side. If people are flying planes into buildings, they're blowing up uh, marathon, uh, they're shooting up, their workplaces uh, because they felt like terrorism was the way to advance their ideology or promote their cause. Uh, you know, you, so many don't want to admit that has anything to do with Islam or religion because I think they can't wrap their mind around the idea that somebody would be so motivated by their religion. Um, that in large part is because they have come up through uh, most of them in America. Most of America's population has come up through public education systems that were designed specifically to uh, wean people off of their uh, long-held, you know, generation after generation uh, beliefs. You know, if, if uh, an Irish family moved here from Catholic Ireland and they thought of themselves as Irish Americans and then they congregated in little 
uh, Irish ghettos. And, uh, and, you know, if there was a crime problem because they weren't uh, too keen on the, the English, uh, you know, if they didn't always get along with the, the German ghetto, you know, with all their, you know, uh, differences, <clears throat> you know, you, you get somebody like a John Dewey who says, hey, let's have a public education system that boils the Irish and the German and the Eastern Europeans uh, boils all of them down uh, to the point where you know, it's the lowest common denominator, and then we just say, "Hey, you're all Americans, right?" And and that was the that was the purpose. Uh, Frederick the Great's Prussian model of public education was designed to instill uh, a submissive mentality towards the state. Uh, particularly himself, you know, uh, was it King Louis' uh, remark at one point, I am the state. I think somebody objected that he couldn't do this, that, or the other thing, or they said that this, that, or the other thing wasn't in the best interest of the state. He says, I am the state. Right. Um, you know, Frederick the Great, Frederick II of Prussia, uh, military commanders, very ambitious, uh, they wanted soldiers who would obey orders. If they said, go take that hill, the answer would be, yes, sir, even if that was a suicide mission, even if it made zero sense uh, strategically from what they could see to go take that hill. Even if uh, they didn't agree with the reasons for the war that battle was going to be a part of, uh, Frederick the Great didn't want all the pesky questions of, Hey, why are we taking this hill? What does this have to do with our overall objective? Uh, why am I fighting these people? Why are we killing each other? Aren't they Christians? We're Christians. Uh, well, no. Let's. How about we, we put aside all that? You let me do the thinking. You do the fighting. You do what I say. When I say jump, you say how high. Yours not to question why. Or, let's see. <clears throat> Charge of the Light Brigade. See if I can find uh, the text of it. This is Alfred Lord Tennyson. Charge of the Light Brigade. My son Solomon did a wonderful job uh, memorizing this and reciting it for speech and demo day with 4-H here uh, last year. It was, I was and am super proud of him for having done so. He did a fantastic job. I got goosebumps. But anyway, half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the Valley of Death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. 
cannon to right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed out with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the six hundred. Flashed all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army while all the world wondered. Plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke, Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered. Then they rode back, but not, not the six hundred. Cannon to right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon behind them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell. All that was left of them, left of six hundred. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honor the charge they made. Honor the light brigade. Noble six hundred. And we look at that. That poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, Charge of the Light Brigade. And in our day and age, and I, I talked about this with my son as he was reciting it. I said, do you, do you understand what the poem is about? Do you, do you know what it's saying? And initially he didn't quite, but I explained it. I said, you know, this is the kind of backstory on it, and this is what it's describing. You know, picture this as you're reciting the poem, because that's what it's about. Uh Men that would charge, uh, even if an officer had blundered and giving the orders, even if they didn't agree with the orders, who would obey? There's not the reason why. There's what to do and die. That was what uh, Frederick the Great and his father were after in creating the Prussian model of education. And, uh, and that... Uh, I'm sorry to say, folks, is also what America's public education system is based off of. But you read uh, this book about the Crusades, and isn't it wild that on the one hand, in our modern day, we can look at uh, people being so, you know, what we think of as gullible. You know, who would believe that your sins could be forgiven if you go off and fight uh, the Muslims and conquer the Holy Land. You know, if you if you die as a crusader, uh, it really it was just a Christian form of jihad that that was being uh, preached, uh, as if as if Christ's atoning sacrifice depended on you picking up a sword. And in order for you to get that grace, you've got to go fight. The Muslims. Um, what? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? The, the, the problem is, if you had people conditioned to obey and to think whatever they were told to think, you know, there's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do and die. Uh, it's no wonder that so many said, sign me up. That sounds fantastic. I trust these people to do my thinking for me. Right. 
I don't believe God gave us brains so that other people could do our thinking for us. I just don't. Um, I think there's a, a balance to strike and uh, listening to others' opinions. Uh, you know, find people that are honest that you can trust and listen to their opinions. And uh, even if you don't agree with their opinion, even if you don't like their opinion, uh, at least get yourself accustomed to listening to people you don't agree with. Uh, because I think it's there's very little in this world that's more dangerous than uh, just agreeing with somebody all the time. You know, because however smart they are, however noble they are, if they're actually uh, a person of character, they're going to be encouraging you to take what they say with a grain of salt. They're going to recognize that they are fallible and that they don't always know uh, everything. Sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes they don't have the right of it. <clears throat> and uh, and that sometimes that sinful nature within them uh, tempts them. And sometimes they give in to temptation. They don't give good godly counsel. Or sometimes they just don't know. And if you uh, were allowed to depend on them for every little thing, they would be making it up on the fly. And then they would be afraid to admit that they don't know. Right? The people that I trust the most, that have the best character in my opinion, are the ones that are going to say, I don't know, when they don't know. Or who are going to qualify their advice and say, you know, at first blush, this is what I think. Take it with a grain of salt. I would look at this. I would check on that. I would investigate here. I would, you know, those are the people you should be trusting. Uh, you know, life is not, uh, it's not a simple two-dimensional thing. People are not simple two-dimensional things. Uh, we need to be thinking in three or four dimensions. Uh, yeah, so anyway. I'm coming up against my hour mark here, and uh, I'm, I'm going to wrap this episode up. Uh, but if you've listened to this point, thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, remarks, complaints, uh, leave them in the comments or shoot me a message. And, uh, yeah, thank you. God bless. <laughs>